Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Uncovered. I am Jared Kimber. He is Bayram Kazi. You can follow him at Def Mango. You can follow me around the streets if you can find me. Uh, we are going to be talking about the cricket this week, uh, as we always do Uncovered, and I suppose as we always do all the time on everything I do. Um, this is a cricket channel, as far as I'm aware. I, I was at the Ireland test, and so I, it, it was it was a weird atmosphere because the last time I went to an Ireland England test, everyone expected Ireland to get smashed in the face. And of mm-hmm. course, Ireland start that test match with, you know, one of the more bizarre beginnings to a test match we'll ever see. So everyone gets really, really excited. And even as over time, England quite clearly worked their way back into that game. I don't think there was ever a, there was ever a feeling of, wow, they shouldn't be here or anything else. Whereas this time, the whole thing was so bizarre because they started the test match by basically Andy Balburnie being saying the quiet bit out loud, which is we don't really prepare for red ball cricket that much anymore. <laughs> and which right. is also remarkable to say because they've actually played more test matches in the last you know few months than they've ever played in their in their entire run. But but he he was honest and he said we don't really prepare for it. The major uh, you know tournament is obviously the World Cup. We've got this weird test match in the middle before we head off to Zimbabwe for qualifiers. The whole thing was really really weird. But they also unquestionably got the worst of the conditions, mm-hmm. right? Like Graham Hume bowling 124 kilometer an hour outswingers would have done a lot better if they'd won the toss and been bowling <laughs> at the start rather than later on. But it did feel a little bit flat maybe compared to some of the other uh, island test matches uh, that I've seen. Um, you know, that's my third one I've been to. Obviously watched a couple on TV as well. But I remember, I think it was Nasser Hussein who said that that the difference between, you know, the top teams and the lower teams has never been wider. And I was thinking, but Ireland didn't even exist. Like, if you really want to be honest, Ireland's a lot closer to England now than they were 20 years ago. So it was a (laughs) weird way of thinking about it. Um, But the fact that Adair and McBride made runs, I think at the very least allowed Ireland to get out of it with, uh, you know, their, their trousers around their waist rather than around their ankles. Yeah, I think they did salvage a bit of pride over there when Adair and McBride scored those runs towards the end and got a 300-plus score. And I think you put it nicely when you said they had the worst of the conditions because winning the toss would have helped, right? Mm. And, uh, and they may still have first. lost. I mean, sorry, yeah, they yeah. definitely still would have lost. We're not saying that they would have won, <laughs> but they would have had the yeah. better of the conditions, so they might have looked better. Absolutely. And if they had bowled to England first, maybe if they got them out at a sub-200 score or something like that, they would have dared to dream or hope like they did last time. And I think also a little bit of lack of experience in that lineup this time around. You know, Kevin O'Brien isn't around anymore. He was a big part of Ireland's initial few test matches, particularly the one against Pakistan, their debut Mm. test. He scored a ton and they nearly won that one as well, by the way. Uh, after having been uh, imposed a followed on. Well, on. this time they didn't follow on, yeah. but it was very similar, right? In yeah. that the game was gone and that's when they made the runs and came mm-hmm. back. The difference was that they didn't, they were never going to get 150 in front or 200 in front and make England nervous, which is exactly what happened in Malahide in that first game against Pakistan. Yeah. And then they had a few debutants, of course. Finn Hand, I believe, uh, debuted. And also his maiden wicket was almost a fumble. Caught and bowled, and then he got a hand to it, right? So hey. the irony is not lost over there. But I think they missed uh, some senior seamers, like maybe Timmy Murta would have fared well, you know, especially if they had bowled first. And also, I would just have Josh Little in there. The left arm angle would have helped, even if, you know, he doesn't have all of that red ball experience. Who does have so much red ball experience anyway? 
it wasn't about experience. It was they didn't pick him essentially because he's being rested for the World Cup qualifiers, yeah. right? And and look, I don't think I think it would have been unfair to think that if Josh Little plays, Ireland are in a much better position in this mm-hmm. game. That's fair. Having said that, he's probably going to be their best Red Bull bowler. So mm-hmm. you know that. Whether he is now or not, I don't know. But you probably want him to play at Lords as much as possible. So yeah, I do. I do think not having little and, and Tim Murta is still playing right for Middlesex, yeah. and so absolutely not too far away from the uh, uh, Lords. Actually, at Lords. That's, well, yeah, that's he's the ground, expert. Right? He he was the one yeah, who took so the wickets in. Uh, why in not that... have him in the squad? <laughs> yeah. So you know, his retirement caused the problem. Obviously, uh, you know, I, I did think about this because a lot of people were saying it was a poor bowling attack. And look, I get it. Andy McBride is you know not quite on the level of, um, you know, he's he's close to being a test match spinner, but he's not not on the level of, you know, most of the other off spinners we see regularly in the world, you know, Mahdi San and Nathan Lyon mm-hmm. and, and Ashwin, obviously he's nowhere near those kinds of levels. But if you really do, what's the best way of putting it? But you could make a very, very solid argument that their, that their two best seamers, one was retired and one was mm-hmm. being rested. And Mark Adair... Mark Adair is such a fascinating cricketer to me. I, I spent a lot of time talking to the Irish um, Irish media this week, and they were sort of saying, Mark Adair's not very good. I said, well, Mark Adair's best ball is about as good as the, anyone's best ball in world cricket. When he bowls a really good ball, it's like because he's got good pace and his movement is insane. The problem is that his next ball is quite often his worst ball, right? Mm. And for a guy who is a swing bowler who can swing the ball both in and away, right, who's very skillful, he's not very accurate. And he bowls a lot of bad balls and he got punished early on. And if you had little and you just said to little, okay, uh, you know, um, Graham Hume hasn't worked here and market has got smashed a little bit. We just need you to come in and just bowl back of the length for a couple of overs and just settle us down. That's a big difference between that and Fionn Hand, right? Who, as mm. you said, I th- was that his second or third first class game? I don't think he's played yeah, a lot. Something like that. I'm not sure he's a specialist bowler if we're being completely <laughs> honest i think he's probably a very good fifth bowler you know but they didn't have a choice right that mm. that, that was what what they were left with and i thought their batting probably underperformed i thought their bowling was just completely just not good enough overall yeah i mean they also i feel lacked an enforcer right uh someone like boyd rankin would have been good in this yeah. irish test team, all of the retired players they <laughs> used to have would have been really good here i mean i made that joke during the test on our discord channel where i said basically if you had little boyd rankin and tim murta <laughs> with this batting lineup and andy mcbrien bowling a little bit off spin and curtis Kampfer, you'd be thinking well that's not a bad attack it may not win you a test but it'll keep you in it and then you look at this mm. attack and you're like i mean graham hume I think he's got a bowling average of like 18 in or 19 in first-class cricket over the first five years mm-hmm. of his career. And on Crick Info, it lists him as fast medium, right? Mm. No one who's seen him bowl now is thinking he's fast medium. There was a time when I thought Ben Duckett was facing him and he could have stopped, looked down and plucked the ball out with his hand and just thrown it back. You know when you're, in the, <laughs> you know when you're a kid bowling to like a senior player in the nets and they're just like, I'm not even going to face that. Sorry, that's not well, that's not quality. He's, he's a big for. stocky fellow, so he might intimidate you with the looks. I mean, there's that possibility. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a lot of muscle on him. Yeah, absolutely. And just a bit on England, you know, Josh Tung debuted and they have a bit of a crisis. We'll get to their injury crisis, but Josh Tung has been included for the first two tests in the Ashes now. You saw him live. He took a Pfeiffer on debut in the second innings. What do you make of him? Yeah, I remember seeing Josh Tung maybe 2018, 2019. And I, I saw one of his games and I thought, He's got a windmill action. Do you know what I mean when I say windmill action? Does everyone no, know? Don't. No, it's a windmill action. It's it's not, there aren't many of them left in cricket. So it's not something you talk about, but something like someone like Sohail Tenvir, where it's almost like both of their mm. arms are moving in a similar direction at the same time. Uh, uh-huh. Liam Plunkett had a little bit of a windmill action, maybe slightly more traditional, but Josh Tong has that. And then he has this thing where he like falls over and almost bowls across himself like that. It's a, dramatic bowling action from that kind of point of view. And it was funny because during the test, I, I went down to Beckenham uh, to talk to Manus Labashain. And, you know, I sort of said, you faced Josh Tong before. It's a bit of a weird action. Is he hard to pick up? Because James McCullum uh, was not picking him up at all. There were, mm. When, when, he, when Tong was bowling full, James McCullum wasn't seeing the ball. Some of his shots were so bizarre. And, and I said to Manus, is he have a weird action? And Manus said, hey, for him, it was a bit like facing Scott Boland, which I thought was remarkable because they're nothing like each other uh, <laughs> the way that we think about cricket. But when you break it, break it down, you do understand what Manus was saying. They both basically bowl from a, very, a slight angle coming in at you at all times. Um, 
he, he is, I thought he bowled well and he took wickets. And I think he'd been averaging over 40 in first class cricket coming in to uh, mm-hmm. in, in this year. So from that perspective, I thought England obviously saw something in him. But if they think he's going to be an enforcer against fast uh, against better batters, I just don't see that happening. The fact that Andy McBride and Mark Adir didn't really worry too much about the short ball, I think tells you that he, he's just not quite quick enough to bowl that role. Mm-hmm. And I've seen England do this before, where they pick someone to come in and bowl the short stuff who just isn't that fast. And I worry for two reasons. One, I just think you, that's not surely not what he does in first-class cricket, right? Mm-hmm. And the second thing I worry about is, that's how you injure bowlers who are not used to it, right? If you're Neil Wagner yeah. and that's like your raison d'etre, I think it's <laughs> fine. Um, I, I thought because of the angle that he comes in on, uh, um, you know, this weird, because he bowls quite close to the stumps, but the ball still comes from wider. I do think that he could have success against players who haven't seen much of him before. He got up to 91 miles an hour at one stage, but he was mostly around 86, 87 miles an hour. Um, I don't think he's quite at the level they want to be Mark Wood or Ollie Stones mm. or Joffre Archer's back, back up. But you I meant Ollie Robinson, didn't you? You messed up your Ollies again. No, I meant Ollie Stone that time. Oh, that you did time mean I was Ollie right. Stone. Yeah. So <laughs> what I meant is he's not those are the guys who are in the side to be quick because they're quick. Right, right. They're right. all Forces. quicker than him. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's not quite at their pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that with Mahmood as well when they brought Mahmood in. And you're just like, yeah, he's quick for first class cricket, but he's not quite quick for test cricket. And mm-hmm. I think that I think that Josh Chung is very similar. Oh, by the way, I was calling Go- Josh Chung Gavin Tung uh, for the first <laughs> half of the test match because there was a Gavin Tung who played for the West Indies. And I'm the only person who remembers <laughs> Gavin Tung as well. Anyway, um, so yeah, I don't think he's quite the player they were hoping he would be, which is maybe that little bit quicker. Weirdly enough, the stuff that I don't think they brought him into the side for, which was the ball movement, the uh, you know, the, the unorthodox way he releases the ball, all these sorts of things. I actually thought it might hold up, but... Yeah, I, if I, I don't know where my current depth chart of English seamers are, but I wouldn't have him in my top 10 of English seamers. But with all the injuries and the sorts of people they're trying to replace, mm. may, maybe he ha, you know, may, maybe they want that kind of thing. We, we have seen them. We saw it in New Zealand. Um, uh, and we've seen it over and over again. If Ben Stokes can't come in and bowl bounces and they don't have someone else in the team to do that, it's actually a big part of their tactics. Mm. Um, you know, think back to Jasper Brummer's world record over and all those sorts of things. So the way they come into test matches really does need someone who can just bowl bouncer after bouncer, especially to the lower order. Um, yeah, Tung did that, but I didn't think he did it in a way. I mean, Mark Adair's probably in the best batting form of his life. And obviously, you know, <laughs> no one's a bigger fan of Andy McBride's batting than I am, but, the fact that they look so comfortable against it doesn't it doesn't make me feel that comfortable going ahead with Josh Chung as a as a quick bowler, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if the Aussies get to face him, they might be licking their lips, pun intended. Uh... But <laughs> anyway, uh, some positives for England as well, of course. Brody picked up a Pfeiffer, which is fairly mm-hmm. staple in the English summer, and then Pope got a double. Duckett nearly got a double. Crawley and Root got runs. Do you think that this was good practice before the Ashes, particularly given that now they are very very depleted going into the Ashes? Yeah, they are. I mean, we'll talk about that later. It's really, really interesting. But um, I, I think it's a competitive game. So mm-hmm. unless they were going to play their A side, I wonder how they would have got, you know, any warm-up for the Ashes properly. You know, this is a better – this is probably better than them all going back to county cricket. I think it's mm-hmm. probably a better warm-up for their bowlers than it is for their batters, only from the, a point of view of uh, – and their bowlers may not play in the Ashes, of course, which is mm-hmm. a bit weird. But only from the point of view that Lorcan Tucker and Harry Tector – I mean, usually they would add Andy, Andy Balburnie, but he barely batted in this um, test match. Paul Sterling, Curtis Kampfer, mm. you know, they are, you have to get them out. They're, you know, well, not always in this case, but they're good batters. You know, there's high, high quality skill there. I think the bowlers, like Graham Hume is not warm, warming up Ben Duckett or mm-hmm. Ollie Pope. Um, but Mark, as I said, Mark Adair's best ball is very, very good. But he, and Andy McBride is at least another off spinner like Nathan Lyon. So there's some stuff there. So I don't think it was a terrible warm-up, but Mm -hmm. it's also probably not. Perhaps if they had Joss Little, you know, even that one extra bowler, it's slightly different, right? And then they have the ability to to put a little bit more pressure on. From an England perspective, it actually would have been far better if they probably, if if they'd lost the toss, Mm. they batted when the ball was moving around a little bit everywhere. 
um, and they had the chance to go, you know, to bat from a position of weakness, right, rather yeah. than a position of strength. But look, yeah. um, it, it's really interesting. I've done a couple of podcasts with Nathan Johns about whether Ireland should have played this test altogether mm -hmm. with the World Cup qualifiers coming up, which is a really interesting topic. It, that's the point that we are in cricket, where you now are like, should we be playing this test match at Lords? Um, <laughs> Lorcan and Tucker, I thought was really, really interesting. And and as you said, you know, Brody taking Brody taking his wickets and a couple of the batters making runs. I I don't think it's ever a negative for what Duckett and Pope to make runs at at Lords. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in a Crawley to get tons of runs on the inside edge. There's that as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my god, the amount of times that he got inside edge. I've never seen him do that that often before. Like usually, he's the outside edge king. It was. <laughs> that is something worth looking at going forward because I did honestly wonder if that's what was going on. If he was trying to cover the outside edge and he started getting inside <laughs> edges, but that's for another day. But yeah, look, it's disappointing for Ireland, I think, but they fought back and probably saved some face. They got to play in packed lords over a couple of mm -hmm. days. Uh, it didn't rain. Um, you know, I, there, there was a lot of, you know, good things from that perspective. Uh, but we're going to take a break. Remember, if you, we, we've probably got a few topics today, but if you have a super chat and you are desperate for us to answer it, please uh, put it down or put it in the comments or whatever the super chat thing is. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. And then after the break, we will be back. We'll be talking a little bit about the World Test Championship final. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live. Because you shouldn't have to change teams, even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome back to Uncovered, Jared and Bayram. Uh, let's talk World Test uh, Championship final. If you're listening to this on a podcast, you've already heard uh, me and Bayram go through it a little bit. But that was mostly me answering Bayram's mm -hmm. questions. So I might as well ask him um, some questions. You're you're a little bit fascinated with the fact that Saha mm -hmm. is um, not over there. So I went through it today. So Saha, I'm trying to remember if he did he. He didn't help them win a test, but there was a test against New Zealand that they got themselves in a little bit of trouble with. They ended up drawing that test. They, they got New mm -hmm. Zealand nine wickets down. Saha made 60. So he's had success with the bat in this uh, cycle. Uh -huh. He obviously, um, they're probably going to go with Barat, is, is my guess. And most of the 11s I've seen have, have Barat's name there. Um, I think we actually even had a comment from someone asking about Ishan Kishan. And is, that, is this it? Let me check. Uh, Gamma says, is it better to have an attacking batter like Kishan over a proper wicketkeeper like KS Barrett to strengthen the batting? What do you think is a better option? So a lot of people are talking about this. Just on that particular question, I'll answer this before I, I throw it to you, is they both average 38 in first-class cricket. It's really interesting that they are seen as two different kinds of players, Ishan Kishan and KS Barrett, when their records would suggest they're a little bit more similar to that. Um, we know that Ishan is obviously a lot more attacking. Um you like the idea of Saha coming in. That's partly because we know what Saha can do, right? And you're thinking it's a final. You're better off to have a player like that in a final than Barrett, who's only played a couple of tests in Ishan, who hasn't played any, has he? Yeah, I don't think he has. He does. He has not earned his Indian test cap yet. From what I recall, you can probably check that whilst I answer I, I, this. I'm literally, I'm literally you, you, you talk and I'll make yeah. sure that I'm right. I'm pretty sure we're right. Yeah, hasn't played yeah I'm quite sure as well. Yeah, there you have it. And I think where that selection call probably comes from is that Rishabh Pant was an attacking player. So, hey, let's yeah. try to do a like-for-like like over here. But I, it doesn't work in my head, at least, because Ishan Kishan plays in the top order in limited overs cricket. And he hasn't quite cemented a place in that team either. So, to throw him in a World Test Championship final, that sounds absurd to me. Because had they included Saha and Bharat as the two options and then gone for Bharat, I would have been fine with that. I would be like, okay, they probably trust him more. They have I, the, the coaching staff has eyes on these players, and they probably feel that KS Bharat is more prepared to you know face this challenge. But with Rhythm and Saha, you get tons of experience. Mm. I cannot recall how many test matches he has played, but he's played a lot of test matches. This is a one-off game; it's not a series. You don't have to hand him out a central contract or tie him down for like the future or anything. You can use his services right now and then look towards the future. And why I thought that, you know, he could be a very, very valuable inclusion is because India haven't been very good in finals, have they, in the last 10 years. They have struggled big time. And in these on these sorts of occasions, 
that experience matters. Those nerves matter. It might well, be a situation where they have to grind, you know, a session out or something. Well, and just on, Saha, on Saha in finals, mm-hmm. in two in two IPL finals, he's made 150. Um, yeah. And those were the two IPL finals he lost. So you, you mm. might want him in the team, but you probably want him in to fail rather than succeed. Yeah, yeah no bad juju over there, I suppose. But he clearly has been in the system for a long time and he has more had more exposure than KS Bharat. And I think exposure counts for something at this level. And I think he is the best keeper out of these three. And one mistake could cost you big time on, on these sorts of occasions and these sorts of games. Yeah. And India want to get over that hoodoo, right? They lost the World Test Championship final last time. They're in it again this time. And if we look at the past two years, they are arguably the best test side in terms of numbers. I think barring that series versus South Africa in which Kohli started screaming at the stumps, they haven't really lost a test series, have they? So they really need to win this. And with Virat Kohli, at least when he was captain, there was a very, very strong focus on test cricket. You know, you would hear this all the time that we want to give test cricket the most importance. It is the pinnacle of the sport. So just keeping all of that in mind, I think this might be an occasion too big for KS Bharat. I'm not doubting his ability. I think that might have helped with having Saha in the team, particularly because you're without Bumrah and Pant, who have been your two main match winners in the past. But then again, you know, this is India and Rahane is back for the experience. Maybe he can make up for Saha's perhaps. Maybe that's a solution well, that, to this. That's where I think it's interesting because... Rahane, it, I know form is part of the reason he's back. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's started making runs in the Ranchi Trophy and a couple of couple of double hundreds and a one ninety odd, and he's made runs everywhere else, including the IPL. So he clearly looks like he's in yeah. more form than we've seen in a while. But the one thing I would say is that if they were willing to bring him back as an experienced player, then Saha would make sense. I, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think it bothers me as much as it bothers you. But one thing I would say on your, you know, for to go along with your point is that. I'm pretty sure the ECB did a study. I think someone else in cricket might have done a study as well on the on the experience levels of World Cup winning teams. And it generally is that the more experienced you are, the more likely you are to win a World Cup, which is, I think, sometimes why teams turn up at, with World, at World Cups with very, very old players and, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, why are they bringing these guys? But it's because of that, you know, this guy's played 25 um, or, you know, 25 high pressure games and 150 one days and yes they might average five less than their replacement but we know exactly what we're going to get from them in a big game we assume you know all those sorts of things do play a part so i do i do find that interesting the other big interesting part of this is the oval pitch itself so it does have as far as english wickets go it does certainly have a uh, reputation of being um a spin friendly wicket and, uh, you know, uh, Yasser Shah got a 10 for. Yasser Shah got a 10 for. I'm trying to think if Jadeja took wickets when India mm. won. I think he might have as well. But the thing is that the majority, and, you know, we've seen Graham Swan do very well there at times. Yeah. You know, we've seen um, overseas spinners sometimes come in and do well. But those test matches are usually played in August and sometimes even mm. September. It's early June. It's not just mm-hmm. June. It's early June. And I do wonder, I think Kartikeya wrote a piece today, you know, and this, I've been thinking this myself and a lot of people have asked me, but I'll tell you why this is specifically hard to answer from a data point of view. But we were wondering if the reason that the oval spins a lot is probably just, it get, gets used a lot as a pitch. And by the end of the year, it gets a little bit more tired and a little bit more dusty because mm-hmm. I've been to a lot of early season uh, matches where the seam bowlers have dominated at the oval. It's probably the first class venue I've seen the most cricket at in the world mm-hmm. um and yes spinners can do very well there but i've seen them do very well towards the end of the year i remember murali kartik and, and gareth batty bowling they were based, both basically unplayable when i think it was uh i'm trying to remember if they won the county championship that year or maybe they got promoted i can't remember what it was but um they were unplayable on the, on that mm-hmm. surface though so, you know two test quality spinners absolutely unplayable but i've seen plenty of other times where spinners have looked very benign on that wicket mm-hmm. And the reason that it's hard to work out is specifically because the in first-class cricket, you usually get an extra day of the pitch degrading, which means that spinners come into all surfaces in a way in test cricket, in which they don't mm. always come into in first-class cricket, especially in places like England and New Zealand. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in New Zealand domestic cricket, you probably don't always, or traditionally anyway, you probably didn't always need a spinner. Whereas mm-hmm. New Zealand Test cricket, you probably do because you need to rest everyone a little bit longer and the pitch will degrade that little bit more. 
this is what's interesting about this oval. We can go back and look at the stats of first class games in in, at the, in the oval in um, uh, June, and I'm sure someone will. I I thought about it, and then I thought I'd rather not. But um, <laughs> and the reason I thought rather not is because they are going to be we're going to be looking at four day games, right? Mm-hmm. I, and it is a slightly different thing. You know, the, the extra twenty percent is a massive change of how you prepare a pitch. What happens? How many people run on the pitch? right throughout the game all those things do change and so we really don't know how this will go from that perspective and also the other thing is it's a neutral mm-hmm. right so the we don't know if the groundskeeper might be thinking wow i want to keep both teams interested here maybe i'll give a little bit of extra pace and bounce keep a little bit of extra pace and bounce but then i'm going to have it on days three four and five where the spinners come back in to see if you mm-hmm. know they want to play today's or Nashville. It's such an unknown um, variable. It's really fascinating to me. I think as far as the curators are concerned, they would be focused on getting a result, you know, because it's a yeah. final. Well, they've and got that six days, don't they? Yeah, that so, they have as well. So maybe they don't have to focus as much on a result as mm-hmm. you normally would. But I do get your point. Yeah. Well, I saw a picture that Dinesh Karthik retweeted or posted and it was off the oval surface that will be used. And... That is as grassy and green a track as you'll ever see. So definitely a bowl first wicket. And where this will get interesting is that prior to actually looking looking at a picture of that, you know, surface, I thought that India will go for two spinners. I thought they will use Jadeja for the balance that he provides in the team. And Ashwin, because of his his experience, and last time Ashwin toured England, he got wickets as well. That is an important little, you know, uh, bit of information in this that India will be looking at. And then you've got seamers, right? You've got Siraj and Shami who are definitely going to play. And then you were going to think about maybe Umesh or Unadkat, who I did not see playing. But Umesh was probably the more, you know, rational sort of uh, player that they were, or, or bowler that they were going to go for. But... Now, after looking at that wicket, I think they might not play Jadeja. They might play Shadul Thakur ahead of Jadeja. And that might, might no, just mess Jadeja. things up. Surely they'll play yeah, Jadeja I mean, for the batting. Yeah, they should. I mean, let's see. Maybe they go for I can't Ashwin imagine Jadeja's not playing. He, he, yeah. he should be first name on the team sheet. I mean, Ashwin is the, is, you know, the way that that goes. But no, I mean, I, I, I understand it's what you're saying. I'm, I'm having a look at the picture that Dinesh Karthik <laughs> put up. Uh-huh. It is quite green. What I would say is this. When did he send this it two hours ago? So, mm. yeah, okay. We've got a little while before. I've seen so many pictures of test match mm-hmm. uh, grounds two days before where the pitch looks bright green. Everyone gets really freaked out and worried. And then by the time uh, the game actually starts, the pitch looks okay. And if mm-hmm. you do look at that pitch, there are little patches of brown underneath the grass. Mm. So perhaps when it's shaved, perhaps when it dies off, when it's rolled or whatever, it won't be as much. So what what I would say is, if I was involved with Indian cricket, and Raul Driver will know this, he doesn't need... Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's listening, obviously, but um, <laughs> uh, he'll know this, that you can't overreact to to what it looks like at the moment. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, the, the Indian lineup is really interesting because... Australia don't really have a choice, hmm. right? They maybe have a choice between Nisa and Boland. If they, that's you know, the only choice they yeah. have, I think. And I don't every, think that, every other position is locked down. Yeah, and I don't think that's a choice. I think Boland mm-hmm. will just play ahead of Nisa just because mm-hmm. he's played more Test cricket and taken more wickets and is more like Josh Hazelwood. But they don't really have any choices. Where India and I, I've said this before, I think India are actually really, really fascinating from this point of view. Is because of Jadeja, and you can even throw. Ashwin and and Chaudhul and Aksha, mm-hmm. you know, or the, yeah. because of the all-round ability of some of those players, they have such flexibility in their lineup, which means mm-hmm. that you have the the ability to be so to get things so correct. The problem mm-hmm. with that, of course, also comes in on the other side, which is you if you make a mistake um, by making too many changes, everyone's going to absolutely have a go at you. There's almost like you either win the game or you make you make a change, and everyone will focus in on that change, despite the fact that may not be why you lost the game. So it is quite interesting from that point of view. Uh, any other I, thoughts I, on on yeah, this? Yeah, I think what India would be focusing on in this game in particular, is that they don't want to lose this game in half an hour. They've done that twice in their last two finals, or well, semi-finals in the 29 World Cup versus New Zealand, and then also the Test match versus New Zealand two years back. I think they lost both of those games in very short period of time, you know? Like, they could have made a fist out of it, and they did make a fist out of it, you know, especially in the World Cup semi. But it's just that that flurry of wickets cost them and they really would not want that. And I think they have the players to do this, you know. Rohit Sharma has an impeccable record. 
in England. Shubman Gill is young, but he's sprightly and he'll be eager to get runs. Pujara has been playing in England for nearly mm. one and a half, two years, and he's been captaining Sussex. And I think his experience in this test match will be absolutely imperative. Kohli, not in the best of form, but of course, he's still Kohli. So they have the players for this, right? But they just can't let that half an hour or hour of play cost them the game again because it is an issue with India. Their bilateral record is great, but when it comes to tournaments for the last decade, they haven't won anything. 2013 Champions Trophy is the last time we saw them mm. lift a trophy. So this is big in Indian cricket and this, ta- this test championship matters a lot. To Virat Kohli, this would matter a whole lot, I yeah. think, more than other players because he's just been so vocal about his love and support for test well, cricket. So, If you think about yeah. Virat at the moment, his legacy outside of mm. his batting is RCB and India not winning when he mm. was either in charge or the main person, right? Yeah. That's, sometimes that just happens. That is not necessarily down to, oh, Virat Kohli's terrible or Virat Kohli's great. And, you know, I've explained his captaincy many times before, but it doesn't matter. That's not how mm. narratives work. Right? Maybe narratives, maybe him and AB bond over that. Yeah, narratives don't, <laughs> well, AB's a perfect example. Chris Gale is another example, right? Chris yeah. Gale won two World Cups and people still thought of him as a failure, right? These mm. things happen. Um, the only other thing I was going to say is I've just done huge. I've gone through India's entire World T, uh, Test Championship cycle. I've gone through Australia's as well. The, uh, there'll be pieces up on that, um, you know, in the next twenty four hours or so. The one thing I noticed going through India's was how rarely they had very big partnerships in this period. Mm. So they had a couple of hundreds. Kale Rahul hit a couple of very important hundreds. Rohit Sharma hit, hit a couple of very important hundreds. Yeah. Rishabh Pant made a hundred um, that almost won them a test in South Africa. Uh, hundreds weren't a problem, right? They came, um, it was very rare to see their top order have partnerships together of over 100, 150 runs. Mm. So even when they made 400, 450, 500 in some cases, there was a lot of like smaller um, scores. It wasn't like one guy made 100 and the other guy made 250 or anything like that. That is, I think, where, when you were talking about before, them losing wickets in clusters, they, what they have been doing over a long period of time is consistently losing wickets. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that is an issue. And it's also something specifically an issue against a team that I think Australia, I think this is right, if every... Australian bowler, including Cam Green, in the World Test Championship cycle, um, had a bowling average under 30. So Cam mm. Green's was 29. I'm trying to remember someone. Uh, Boland's was obviously minus four. Um, <laughs> so, so they're wicket takers, right? And mm. that's a that's going to be a really and whether this pitch is as green as it is or not. I think I looked it up the other day, and the uh, the average so far at the Oval this year has been 30 runs per wicket quite mm-hmm. low not massive not not like scary low but low generally yeah. at the oval the average is 32 runs per wicket mm-hmm. right so that is a bit of a drop um this year and that's probably because it's the middle it's usually july and august when batting becomes a little bit easier at the oval mm. um specifically uh, you could say that about the whole country but it seems to get that surface seems to firm up even more so no no it's it, it, lots of interesting stuff and obviously next week we'll probably just be talking about this game so uh, yeah i just think that with, like with respect to india they do have a good chance but australia's bowling attack is relentless even without mm-hmm. hazelwood you know either of those guys play boland or nisa nisa's been playing for glamorgan getting wickets, scoring runs. And Scotty Boland averages 13 and a half. So these guys aren't easy and they aren't going to give India a lot of space to breathe. And I think that if I look at this objectively, I know I said in a podcast yesterday that <laughs> India are going to get 35 all out and Scotty Boland is going to get a seven for. But if I'm being serious about this, I would still think that Australia are favorites to win it. But in, this matters a lot to India, particularly for Kohli and Sharma because their legacy kind of, kind of depends on it, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is going to be a massive win if they pull this off. And they've done it before. Depleted India have defeated, depleted, oh well, full strength Australia in Australia. So just a few facts over there. Obviously stoked for the game. And yeah, I'm really excited to see what lineup India plays because Australia is pretty much ironed out and Cam Green, I think, is someone who provides impeccable balance to Australia, which really helps them, you know, as far as the team compositions are concerned. Uh, so just on the bookies, the bookies have Australia as massive favourites now, even mm-hmm. when Hazelwood um, came out. Um, so I, uh, it's it's worth putting that out there as well, just so that everyone has it. I, I'm not sure I have them as massive favourites, but I certainly think Australia mm-hmm. is the better team. And I think the injuries are going to affect India a lot more than they will Australia. We're on Uncovered. I'm Jared. He's Bayram. Here's a break. 
Welcome back to Uncovered, Jared and Bayram here. Um, Jack Leach is back. Do you know uh, that, that actually, the way I just pronounced that sounded wrong because I said Jack Leach is back as if he's <laughs> making a comeback, whereas actually what I mean, he's injured. Before we talk about his injury, do you, have you ever heard of a man called Doug Ackley? I have not. I think it's Ackley or Ackley. I think it's Ackley. Um, mm-hmm. He's an Australian who is absolutely convinced that the front foot no ball law is the reason that bowlers get bad backs. That mm-hmm. under the back foot um, no ball law, people didn't get backs because the same amount of pressure wasn't through the crease. And I kind of, from a physics p- perspective, agree with him. There are some things I don't necessarily agree with. Like I think when we bowled the back foot no ball, we were bowling a lot slower. So the mm-hmm. pressure generally wasn't as big uh, in that point of view. And the other thing was in the old days, they would say he's got a sore back and now we scan it and some, you know, MRI imaging mm-hmm. type, you know, tomfoolery yeah. tells us that there's a fracture there, right? <laughs> so I do think there are other issues beyond uh, that. But but his his basic point is so I so Jack Leach has a stress fracture to his back. He's out for the entire Ashes, probably for the rest of the year, I would think. Depending on, uh, I haven't heard an update since uh, the first one yesterday, but I would assume he's out for a good period of time. It's very very rare that finger spinners get this injury. It happens to wrist spinners a little bit. Obviously happens to seamers a lot. Uh, Daniel Vittori was one, and that was Doug that pointed that out to me on, on Twitter as well. Um, but just such a setback for uh, Jack Leach. I just feel like his whole career is like overcoming things. Um, you know, he wasn't exactly the sexiest player. You mm. know, he was, Moen Ali was, was the person they were desperate to get in the team, not Jack Leach. Uh, you know, he plays for Somerset, which I don't know. I don't know what percentage of English cricket fans could find Somerset on a map. Um, although it's one of the cricket heartlands of England, weirdly enough. Um, Crohn's disease. Well, I mean, Viv played for Somerset, no? Yeah. Even Viv <laughs> doesn't know where it is. Uh, Crohn's <laughs> disease, obviously, was, uh, you know, something else he had to overcome. He got really mm. sick. He got sepsis. Um, they think he was one of the earlier people that had COVID. They now, there's this theory. And it might just be English cricketers whispering that they all had COVID, but they were all sick in South Africa in 2019, 2020 series. Mm-hmm. They now think the reason they were sick was that they had COVID um, mm-hmm. and didn't know that it was COVID at the time, of course. But the whole Obviously. team got sick. They lost the test match against South Africa, basically, because they couldn't put out an 11 properly. Um, uh, you know, he then had that period where he was traveling around as like professional 12th, just not even doing anything. He had to watch mm-hmm. Don Best play over him. I mean, it's incredible. Don Best was playing ahead of Jack Leach and Don Best is now averaging high 40s in first class mm-hmm. cricket over the last couple of years. Probably doesn't have a great future ahead of him, near future, unless something changes in his career. Leach just feels like all these things happen to him. And I, I would say in the, since baseball. He, he clearly changed his technique a little bit. I don't know who it was who worked with him, but he puts a little bit more action on the ball to get some drift, which means that you can't just smash him early on. Like People used to just treat him like he was a net bowler for the first couple of innings until the ball started spinning. You can't do that anymore. He's actually quite a clever bowler now on flat pitches in a way that he never was mm. before. He finally gets to that point in his career and he gets a stress fracture. It just feels like there's no matter what Jack Leach does, something just drags him back into the muck. Yeah, there are a few angles to this, right? I think the part where you mentioned where he's changed his technique a bit. Uh, he was very useful on the flat pitches of Pakistan. Yeah. And I think he had a pretty good tour. Even in this previous test match versus Ireland, I mean, he was tempting Sterling to sweep him. And then, well, Johnny Bairstow had an earful to say from behind the stumps. But yeah, he would get you those wickets which would often break partnerships. And Jack Leach was just a useful control bowler to have who can now also, you know, get a wicket uh, or two at times. And yeah. I think he got brought a lot of value to England's team. And if I look at England's spinners after Graham Swan and maybe Monty, you know, there aren't a lot of names which would match Leach's achievements. You've got the Zafar Ansaris who are now studying or practicing law and uh, other players like Dom Bess. I mean, he was introduced in the test team, had a little bit of success with the bat, actually, I think more than the ball. And yeah, he's completely out of the picture. Who else have you got? You've got Rehan. Rehan Emmett could come in potentially. Got, I mean, Moen Ali is the big one, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, and there you have someone who, he's such a weird career on his own because he took really good wickets, but went at a ridiculously high run rate. And so when you talk mm-hmm. about uh, uh, Leach getting to become someone who can take wickets and control the run rate, yeah. he probably is the first one to be able to do that since um, 
since Swan. So even yeah. Moinelli couldn't necessarily do that. So, yeah, I mean, they have struggled. You know, mm-hmm. uh, who, who have they used? They've used people like Kerrigan, uh, Scott Borthwick. Um, I'm missing it. another it, one as well. Um, with, the, with the leggy maybe because I can't think of another. Parkinson came uh, in. Parkinson, I would yeah. love. Liam Dawson. Liam Dawson is someone who could really fill that gap well. I think in his last championship game, he got like a six foot uh, in an inning. Did he? And yeah, yeah. And he can provide right. good value with the bat as well. So he yeah. might be one of those guys England might be looking at. I think but that's I think what they, they'll do. I think they'll yeah. go, I think they'll go Will Jacks, Liam Dawson, uh, someone like that. Even Rayan Ahmed, if they, it, you know, I wouldn't mind Rayan at all. Yeah. I think he does have what it takes and he is going to be, you know, the next Adil Rashid someday. He looks to be keen, you know, when it comes to playing across formats. He's a good batter as well. Uh, Liam Dawson makes the most sense, I suppose. And I've thought about this, right? Mm. Because he has that experience. He's won a World Cup on the bench. And I mean, you know, it's just going to be unfortunate overall not having Jack Leach. Not just because, of course, all of the challenges that he's gone through with the injuries, the sepsis, Crohn's disease. But also because the last time Australia came to England, he won England a test match. He mm. was there with Ben Stokes right till the end. Bagged a spec savers deal. I think his specs are free for life now. And that's just a great anecdote. And I think that he really, you know, that was the point in his career that he started to believe. Because you often talk to Jack Leach. It seems like he was one of those guys who never thought he'd take 100 test wickets. But now he had gotten to that point where he did believe. And that's yeah. why he is such a big blow to England. And yeah, I, I guess Dawson makes the most sense just because of like the profile that he brings. Yeah, but I think yeah, Will, Will Jax is the other one, isn't he? So Will Jax, did he play in Pakistan? So Will Jax never, ever got a Pfeiffer in red ball cricket before he toured Pakistan. Weirdly enough, Pakistan yeah. gave him a Pfeiffer. But I think he is more of a batting option as opposed oh, no, to a bowling option. No, he yeah. definitely is. But I don't, I think because they have Joe Root, I think mm. they might just think to the, I, look, to be honest, Dawson's more of a batting Dawson's a batter in professional cricket. Yeah. It's just that when he plays for England, he gets used as a bowler. So. Mm. It, it probably depends on what you want. Dawson being the left arm finger spinner means that then they've got root uh, to bowl off spin as well to the left yeah. handers if they want. Um, but the other way they might look at it is there's already a bunch of left handers in the Australian team. You might as well have mm-hmm. two off spinners is a, is a potential yeah. the way they go about that. But yeah, I, 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 it'd be interesting to see which direction they go. But I think they'll pick the extra batter because I don't mm. really think any spinner they can pick is going to take enough wickets to change it with their wickets. They really want 15 overs to rest all their seamers, especially with Ben mm. Stokes. Um, yeah. You know, it'd be interesting to see if Sam Curran plays a bigger part now as well mm. um, because of that, you know, and he, he comes in and adds a little bit of extra batting and, and everything else as well. So be interested to see how they re- rejiggle that. Um, Afghanistan are playing Sri Lanka. Uh, tell me, yes. what do I need to know? I know it's happening, but that's all I know. You need to know, for starters, that Rashid Khan isn't a part of this series thus far. I'm not sure if he's set to come for the last ODI or not. The series is level 1-1. And without Rashid, A, Afghanistan first managed to restrict Sri Lanka to around 260-odd. And that too would have been few runs had it not been for Charita Salanka, who scored 91. I think Dhananjaya scored a 50 uh, in the lower order. So that's what got Sri Lanka to 268 or something. And then Afghanistan just came out and blew them away. They comfortably chased it down. And we know that Rehmat Shah has been getting runs for them at first drop, albeit not at a high strike rate, but he's been getting the runs for them. But what's most promising and the biggest takeaway, I think, for Afghanistan is that their opener, Ibrahim Zadran, who is 21 years of age, in 10 ODI games, has gotten 585 runs, which is the fifth most for any batter in ODI cricket after five games. Uh, sorry, 10 games, which is amazing. I mean, he this guy could go on to break Fakhar Zaman's record for uh, quickest to 1,000 runs in ODI cricket. And he's gotten his 98 runner ball. So that's even more promising that he's not like eating up tons of deliveries. And I think what's super beneficial for Afghanistan is that they're getting to play in Hamman Tota, which might be a bit similar to what they'll, you know, experience in India. I'm not saying it'll be like completely similar, but it yep. could be, you know, there's going to be lots of crossover. It's weird that they're playing all those three games in Hamman Tota. It's like Afghanistan are touring Hamman Tota and that's it. But Sri Lanka bounced back, of course. I mean, they, they scored heaps of runs, 320-odd. And their top order fired, you know, Nisanka scored runs. Karuna Ratne is playing ODI cricket. There's some news for you. Yeah. <laughs> he scored a 50. Didn't and expect I that can't to remember. Yeah, I think Kusal Mendes also got some runs that game. Everyone pitched in. Dhananjaya got like wickets as well, got some runs as well. Afghanistan capitulated 190 odd. So, what I'm learning from this series is that there's not a lot that separates both sides, but also both of those games have been one sided. So, that really sets us up nicely for the final in Hamban Tota. And 
biggest takeaway for Afghanistan, apart from Ibrahim Zadran, of course, in the runs he's scoring, is that they've got, they've got a win versus uh, uh, Sri Lanka at their backyard without Rashid Khan. They will have Rashid Khan in India. And that makes them all the more potent. So if Afghanistan can figure out a consistent way to get 270 to 80-odd in this World Cup, I would even expect them to win a match of three. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's always been their thing. They, they usually have good enough bowling to keep people interested and, and occasionally do really, really well. It's that mm-hmm. ability to consistently make a par score. I don't yeah. think we need them to make an above par score because their bowling is so good. But if they can make par scores and then occasionally a below par score, they'll be able to defend as well. But that yeah. that is their biggest issue at the moment as a team. Um, and let's just finish off. You said you had some news about Shaheen. Yeah, so uh, this could be doing the then, as if I'd said the wrong thing. Was that well? Is that just between you and me? You just wanted to tell me something? No, 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 no. You can definitely talk about this. I was just, you know, talking to you about it earlier, and I'm completely happy to talk about it over here. Is that there's a lot of discourse going on currently with respect to Shaheen Shafridi's workload, and for good reason as well. He got injured in the World Cup final. Mm-hmm. He was injured before that. He was rushed into the team, and even though he wasn't at a hundred percent, he was operating at what 80, 85. He was one of the key players for Pakistan in that World Cup campaign. And had he not injured his knee, who who knows? Who would yeah. who knows, right? It's a bit of a that. fluke injury as well, wasn't he? Yeah. He was fielding the ball, wasn't he? It's unfortunate because earlier in the year, that same year, he got injured fielding in Sri Lanka in a test match and then injured his knee again uh, whilst he was fielding and after completing that catch in the final versus England. And Shouldn't even, you know, like. with a, a foot that barely was working or whatever, he bowled a dot ball. <laughs> so bowling like just taking a few prods. So I understand the concern that everyone's having with respect to Shaheen. But then if he's bowled 27 overs in 10 days and played, what, seven games or 70-20s in 10 days, which does sound a bit ridiculous. Yes, if you ask Mm. me, that is a bit of T20 overload. But Shaheen needs some practice for test cricket. Pakistan is set to tour Sri Lanka and that is happening in July. So if he is not that sort of match fit where he has a lot of overs under his belt and is rearing to go, I think that's not beneficial either. So it's a cash 22 situation. And I think I would be more comfortable playing Shaheen right now just so he gets back into his rhythm because he's not back to peak Shaheen yet. He, he's, of course, Shaheen, even when he's not peak Shaheen, is really good, but we know what peak Shaheen is capable of. So I would want him to find that rhythm in the Vitality Blast and then go and win Pakistan a couple of test matches in Sri Lanka. But the worrying part in all of this is that Shaheen is also penciled in to play the 100. And I'm not sure if that's a great idea in a World Cup year. Because that's yeah, a it's, lot it's of It's interesting. Cricket. I saw him bowl against Lancashire and he, mm-hmm. um, I think it was during the IPL final. Um, it was raining so much that Sky just put on a, the, the, the blast game um, for later because I think they overlapped. He's not bowling particularly well. The ball not, wasn't not coming out of his hand. So there is a part of me that thinks that, yes, it's a lot of cricket and I can understand why people mm-hmm. would be upset about that. But there is a part of me that thinks he probably just needs a couple more overs. A couple mm-hmm. more deliveries to get back to whatever he's doing. He took two for 25 in the last game. And I've, uh, I think there was a game against Derbyshire where he bowled really well early on. I don't know how many overs he bowled yeah. in that. Well, I, most importantly, he completely like destroyed or obliterated uh, Joss Butler's off pole. That's his biggest accomplishment. Apart from his batting, of course, he's an all-rounder now. Clearly, he gets or scores a lot of sixes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, um, he made 29 in one game and 17 in the other. Just, yeah. I'm just having a look. He made runs against India in the World Cup. He most recently made runs against New Zealand in an ODI and then he yes. also scored a six or something versus India in the World Cup. Yeah, very, very one hit, but six. I remember it was a yeah. very important hit. Yeah. So, and for no, the no. Hawkelanders, he's, he's scored runs plenty of times now. I think it's it's not even one of those things where you need to talk about it. But of course, like he is keep like he continues to add to his game, which is great for Shaheen. But ultimately, I get why people are worried. You want to wrap him in cotton wool because Shaheen, the bowler, is worth way more than Shaheen, the anything else, right? Even though he's getting better at batting. He's a brilliant fielder for fast bowlers. I think he is absolutely, you know, amazing, puts his body on the line, which again, every time he does that, I think all Pakistanis, like, we have our hearts in our mouths. But again, like I said, cash 22 situation. I do agree that he needs a few more miles in those legs mm. to, you know, play a test match. But what if he gets injured? Playing yeah. all of this T20 It's cricket. a lot of cricket. And he's penciled in to play a lot. Yeah, no, no, that's sure. You say his bowling's worth more than anything else. That's a little bit unfair on his hair because he could be a hair model, <laughs> I think, um, going ahead. I uh, just want to thank everyone in the comments. We uh, are uh, not going to be able to get to them today, but thanks to Manav, Siddharth, Kumar, AGP, EKG, Poonate. Uh, who else we got? Kultura. Um, te- oh, can't see that one. Uh, Tejerum, I think, as well. Gamma, Kushev. 
all things cinema vodcast uh gamma yeah all those different people so thank you to everyone if you do want to ask a question on one of these shows the best way of course is super chat um if for no other reason then it it makes it easier for me to find there's and one put on the there's screen. one really interesting question if you have like two minutes on you i just want I to address one, this. i have 30 seconds you better answer it quickly yeah. what was the question if warner fails in the ashes does he, does he get a farewell test versus pakistan no <laughs> okay I think it's possible that Warner is not playing for Australia by the end of the Ashes. And to be fair, he was really honest in the press conference. He was saying, look, it's, I'm going to tell you where I want to play my last games. The selectors may not agree. So the, the T20 one's the most interesting one because I would still say he is probably should be Australia's opener unless something massively mm-hmm. changes. Jeff Lemon was saying to me, someone could have a big, good big bash. And I was like, well, happy a pretty good big bash to move David Warner out of the side. Um, <laughs> but that could happen as well. Um, World Cup, ODI World Cup, I think is probably the only thing that I can't see any reason why he wouldn't play. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. very possible he won't play against Pakistan. I think if he makes it home, because he makes so many runs at home, he'll be fine. But if he's not playing in the last couple of Ashes tests, I think that's probably it for David Warner as a test cricketer. Uh, would be. My I guess. think Stuart Broad can answer that question in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> Did you see when Warner was asked about Stuart Broad and he said, well, we're playing India first. So, you know, we're a little bit mm-hmm. more worried about um, that was Maboob. Um, he said that um, I, he said um, a little bit more worried about India at the moment and then we'll be worried about it if Stuart Broad gets picked and I did think it was funny in fact it, it's I've got to go so I won't go too deep into it but it's quite interesting that the, one of the biggest talking points of this series is Warner versus Broad and there mm-hmm. is a possibility that neither of them play all the test matches in the Ashes but maybe we'll we'll save that for when the Ashes actually comes around Yeah, but uh, you can find Bayram on Twitter at Def Mango you can find him over at Grassroots Cricket for everything else plus he's here like all the time um, also <laughs> uh, but thank you uh, to everyone uh, remember get the Super Chats in if you want to support us on Patreon that is also another great way of doing it uh, but bye for now and I will be back in a couple of days to do a Wagon Wheel and We've got a foot marks coming up as well. There's, there's, you know, but mostly it'll be World Test Championship stuff, of which we'll start tomorrow from mm-hmm. on the not the test match, but the actually on this site. We'll see you again next time. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, and there are many other extras available there as well. There is a link to the show notes. The show is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. Barat Sundaresan is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orajoti Senapayi and Maida Akam producing podcasts and Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube account. Podcast Network.